SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome to the Morning After on Sports Grid. It's Sirius XM Channel 204. I'm your host, Ariel Epstein, taking you through the next three hours on the Morning After on Sports Grid. We are going to have some great guests on the show today, especially here in the first hour. We are getting ready for week one of college football. Saturday down south, Connor O'Gara, their editor, is going to join us and break down some of those games coming up later on. In addition to talking NFL updates, Major League Baseball, some craziness ensued yesterday. These playoff races are winding down. They're going to come down to the wire in the MLB. Now, in the NFL, things are getting crazy because we've got a week and a half off. First off, I've seen so many different trades, not anything major, just a lot of different pieces moving around. There's just this downtime. I guess these general managers are bored with the week and a half off. There's also controversy around Hurricane Ida and what that caused for New Orleans. That's affecting potentially an NFL game. It could affect, it it is already affecting a college football game. We're going to tell you how you can handle the futures market and those look ahead lines coming up in the next week or two. But first, my co-host Ben Stevens joining me now. Ben, happy hashtag trusted capper Tuesday. Happy Trusted Capper Tuesday to you as well. Yes, so much to get to. Football really feels like it is in full swing. A little break until we get to the start of the NFL regular season, less than a week and a half away from that. Now, of course, week one of the college football slate is in full swing. A game tomorrow night on Wednesday. So many games on Thursday. Games on Friday. A great slate full of marquee matchups on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday as well. So until we get... To the start of the National Football League season, college football is there for you. We will break that down in so many ways over the next couple of days, getting you set for week one and what the rest of the college football season may look like as well. We're going to get to also how these games have been moving around from the hurricane. But first, there were, some, there were some COVID concerns yesterday. The Indianapolis Colts just can't catch a break, Ben. The Colts dealt with injuries to not only their quarterback, Carson Wentz, who back on August 2nd got foot surgery on that left foot. They also ended up dealing with their offensive linemen having to go on to uh, get foot surgery as well. The same thing with Quentin Nelson. Now you finally get back your quarterback in Wentz. He was finally cleared to go participate in team activities, full team practices this the past week. Now he gets he's in close contact, and I, I don't think that he tested positive, but because he is in close contact, it was him, their center Ryan Kelly, and wide receiver Zach Pascal who came in close contact with a Colts staff member who tested positive. They have five days now, these three players, because they're unvaccinated, so it's five days that they have to wait test negative and then they're allowed to come back to practice as long as they test negative ben they can return which means that the colts would have their players back in time for week one however the problem is you've now had your quarterback out for the last two three weeks finally able to participate and he can't even participate until game week which is just crazy as you're welcoming in the seattle seahawks 
Yeah, and that's really the issue. Because of how much of training camp in the preseason Carson Wentz missed, recovering from that foot surgery, now to have him away for any bit of time, and hopefully he continues to test negative and can come back in five days as a close contact placement on the COVID-19 list. Now you start to get concerned for that week one opener. There is a bigger gap now from the end of the preseason until the start of the regular season, but not all that much time. If this happened earlier in training camp, you're not thinking much of it. As we welcome in our Sports Grid radio audience here, the first hour of the morning after just getting underway, you're listening on Sirius XM channel 204, the mightier 1090 out on the West Coast. It's Ben Stevens and Ariel Epstein. And Ariel, like we are discussing, Carson Wentz now placed on the COVID-19 protocol list based on close contact. There's not all that much time until the start of the regular season. Yes, it feels like it might be a while away, but it's next weekend. It's next Sunday for the Colts to welcome in the Seattle Seahawks, one of the best teams in the NFC, a team in contention for the NFC West. And the Colts were starting to feel some of that optimism, but it has been a very tumultuous training camp and preseason portion for Indianapolis. For Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson to go through foot surgery, their starting left tackle and Sam Tevy missing the year, it seems like right now, with an ACL injury as well. Eric Fisher, who they signed in the offseason, won't be back for some time. So, so many moving parts along that offensive front and at the quarterback position and one of their backups who excelled this preseason the rookie Sam Ellinger dealing with a rare ACL sprain at the moment as well so so many concerns and a tumultuous training camp portion for these Indianapolis Colts as they turn their sights now on that week one regular season game and Ariel we have been following the line movement for this game it opened at two and a half after the positivity for the Colts and Carson Wentz coming back, it moved in favor of the Colts. Seattle still favored by one and a half. Now, after the news yesterday of placing Carson Wentz and two other players on that COVID-19 list, more movement back in favor of the Seattle Seahawks. As it stands currently, Seattle favored by two and a half for that week one opener against the Indianapolis Colts. Back when the Lions first came out at the beginning of June, it was Colts minus two. Then the injury to Carson Wentz's foot happened, then the COVID situation, and now the line is completely flipped with the Seahawks as two-and-a-half-point favorites. The total has dropped, too. It opened at 52-and-a-half, and it's gone down to 48-and-a-half. I'm curious if it's about Zach Pascal in addition to Wentz, if that total is going to rise again. The backup quarterback being Jacob Eason, and behind him right now, Brett Hundley. The only reason Brett Hundley's still on the roster is because Wentz is on the COVID list once once is off, then you'll probably have Huntley uh, probably not be there. But for the time being, this is just a hot mess. And it's not even as if you have Carson Wentz, who has been part of this Colts team. Wentz is coming over from Philly. It's a brand new team. Even though he's familiar with his head coach and Frank Reich, who was with him in Philly, it's still a new team with new teammates, new players. This is just a mess for Indy. Very curious to see what happens week one. Coming up next, Major League Baseball recaps from a gambling perspective. Stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back. 
back on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. Ben, it was another day of favorites in Major League Baseball, hitting at 8-3 and three straight up. And to follow along with us throughout the games, throughout everything that you need to get an edge on, Follow us on SportsGrid and SportsGrid TV all over Twitter. Major League Baseball yesterday, we were given updates from a gambling perspective. SportsGrid always tweeting out content, videos that you may have missed from the show, in addition to us taking part in the SportsGrid and SportsGrid TV Twitter handles. So make sure to go join us there. But Major League Baseball yesterday, a day of favorites. They're hitting at close to 60% on the season, which is just absurd. It was also a day for pretty much you could say favorite home run hitters. The leaders around Major League Baseball yesterday were on fire. You saw home runs from Shohei Otani, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Fernando Tatis Jr. All three of them hit a home run in the same day for the third time this season. This also happened on June 25th and April 4th. Ben, to just see how dominant all three of these hitters are, these sluggers are, Every night, it just feels like we're watching at least one of them hit a home run, but it's just the trifecta when it's all three. An absolute showcase of the best players in all of Major League Baseball, and I do not say showcase just to highlight Shohei Otani. They might be saying, hey, football's on the horizon, but don't forget about Major League Baseball. We still have some pretty cool players hitting some long balls yesterday, and Vladdy Guerrero Jr. hit two, Shohei hit his 42nd of the year, and Fernando Tatis Jr. hit his 36th home run of the season, all of which having implications for the win-loss record. But let's focus on Shohei Otani first. His Major League Baseball best, 42nd home run of the season yesterday. And finally, Ariel, it's not our regular bit here where you could not look at the scoreboard because the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim got a big win over the New York Yankees, winning 8-7. to And the trends were very strong yesterday. Yes, Shohei Otani hit his 42nd home run of the year. Yes, that's the most in Major League Baseball. Yes, Shohei is 35-1 to to win the American League MVP, minus 3,500 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. But the over in Anaheim hits yet again. The most overs in all of Major League Baseball at a home ballpark for L.A. 64% of the time they are going to the over in Angel Stadium in Anaheim. And the Yankees playing another game decided by two runs or less because the Angels won 8-7. to seven. The trends were very strong yesterday in Anaheim. Oh, yeah. Another one for the Yankees. What is it now? 23? I'm trying to remember 20 of 23, something crazy like that, of their Yankees road games decided by two runs or less. Also, the Padres were on the road at, in Arizona, and they beat the Diamondbacks 7-5. to five. First off, best bet of the day, you've got Tyler Gilbert with the under four and a half strikeouts. The Padres, another trend. They have had the second lowest strikeout rate in baseball in the last 30 days and the fourth lowest amongst Major League Baseball all season. However, the Padres cash in minus 196 on the money line. The total of nine and a half, it goes over. The Padres all-star Fernando Tatis Jr., we alluded to it prior, he hit his 36th home run of the year. Ben, every time this man hits a home run, it's just like, what, how, how do you keep doing this? Your left shoulder is so hurt, and you really don't have, I, I was watching Pedro Martinez on Major League Baseball Network, and he said, he's not going up to the plate with the same intensity, and he's still hitting home runs. It's amazing. And it was great to see that happening very early, top of the first inning for the San Diego Padres. So Fernando Tatis Jr. bringing the juice from the very beginning. He's the first player in Major League Baseball history, aged 22 years or younger, to have 36 home runs in his first 100 games of a Major League Baseball season. Obviously, Tatis Jr. has missed some time this year. It's not just 100 games for everybody in Major League Baseball, just Fernando Tatis's 100th game of the year and 36 home runs in that time, the most 
in the National League. It is why Fernando Tatis Jr., despite missing time due to injury, is still a minus 270 favorite to win the National League MVP. But a huge win for the San Diego Padres, who are trying to stem this slide they have been on over the past three weeks or so and get back into contention for the National League wildcard due to a Cardinals win over the Cincinnati Reds and a Padres win on the road over the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Padres now just a half game behind the Reds for that second and final NL wildcard spot. It is going to be an incredible race to watch here down the stretch. The Padres schedule a lot more difficult than that of the Cincinnati Reds. The Reds have a relatively easy schedule because they play in the NL Central. The Padres still have 10 games remaining against the San Francisco Giants. So a lot harder duration left here in the home stretch of the Major League Baseball schedule. But a big win yesterday over a team they need to beat in the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, Ariel, we have highlighted the Baltimore Orioles and their struggles at home, losing on the road yesterday to the Toronto Blue Jays, and we'll get to that in just a second. The D-backs have the second-worst home record in all of Major League Baseball, so the Padres need to continue winning in this series out in the desert. It's amazing that two of the three home run leaders in Major League Baseball are contending for a wild card spot, and it is coming down to the wire. The Toronto Blue Jays, another one of those teams, they beat the Baltimore Orioles yesterday, 7-3 in Toronto. The Blue Jays were minus 360 on the money line, which is absurd. The total of 9.5, or excuse me, yeah, the total of 9.5 ends up going over. As we mentioned, Vlad Guerrero Jr. hits two home runs last night, not just one. Two home runs last night for 38 total on the season, tied for the third most by a player at 22 or younger before September in Major League Baseball history. Ben, the Toronto Blue Jays are also contending for the wild card spot. They are four and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox, yet the Jays still have a series with the Athletics, two series with the Yankees, and two with Tampa Bay. They also do have two, again, with Baltimore after this series. However, to have four series total against Tampa Bay and New York, it's a really tough road ahead for that wildcard spot for Toronto. Very tough road, but one of the teams they are looking up at currently, the Oakland Athletics, may be able to make some ground there. The Boston Red Sox currently occupy that second and final AL wildcard spot. But at least they have the Orioles a couple more times, and that's an opportunity to take advantage. Four and a half games back are the Toronto Blue Jays of that second and final AL wildcard spot. But this Blue Jays team that is so young and exciting will be a force to be reckoned with, hopefully, in the years to come in the American League. And one of their best pitchers, Robbie Ray, an absolute stud yet again yesterday, throwing many, many strikeouts this season and through his young Major League Baseball career. 1,241 strikeouts now for the left-hander Robbie Ray in his first 1,000 innings pitched at the Major League Baseball level. That is a new record, those 1,241 strikeouts he has done in 1,000 innings. And like you mentioned, Ariel, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., two home runs yesterday, now 38 home runs hit this year. That's tied for second most in the American League with Salvador Perez of the Kansas City Royals. Shohei Otani, obviously the heavy odds-on favorite to win the AL MVP at 35-1, to minus 3,500. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the second shortest odds at plus 1,500. It's interesting, Ariel. You mentioned the Oakland Athletics and how the Blue Jays still have a series against them. Toronto, four and a half games back of that second and final AL wildcard spot. Oakland, two games back of the Boston Red Sox for that second and final AL wildcard spot. There is one team with make playoff odds up on the FanDuel Sportsbook currently. It is the Oakland Athletics, who are minus 700 to the no of not making the postseason in the American League. Interesting when FanDuel pops up one team at a time and the juice is so heavy against them to make the playoffs.
I'm just, I can't believe that you've got, uh, I, I'm trying to think about it this way, because if you have Shohei Otani, who, let's just say, wasn't a pitcher, and then you have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. doing what he's doing this year, who's the MVP? Take out pitching. Do you think it's still Otani because he's leading the league in, in home runs? I think it would be a lot more contested of a race because Shohei's average in the amount that he strikes out is higher at least the amount he strikes out and the average lower than what Flatty Jr. is doing in Toronto. It would be close. I think Shohei still might have the edge. It would not be minus 3,500 to win the American League MVP if Shohei Otani did not pitch, but because he does pitch and what he is doing in the likes of what we have never seen before, obviously it needs to be Shohei. I'm going to make that the poll, I think, tonight. That might be fade the public poll later. I have to remember that. The Tampa Bay Rays also gained some ground in the American League East as the Yankees lost. So the Rays beat the Red Sox 6-1. to one. They cash minus 152 on the money line. The total stays under a total of nine. And Wander Franco continues to get on base 30 straight games. Keep in mind for the future, the Boston Red Sox now have five different players on the COVID list. They just had to put them out there. Uh, three more yesterday during the game. So stay here on the grid. We're going to talk NFL coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens and Ariel Epstein. In the NFL, we're getting down to the wire, figuring out who's going to be starting quarterbacks and even where people may be playing week one. First, we'll start with the quarterback race in New England. The head coach of the Patriots, Bill Belichick, was at his press conference yesterday. And a reporter said, you know, looking ahead to the regular season, have you made a decision on who's going to be the starting quarterback at the opener? Belichick responded with, quote, no, we still have a lot of decisions to make. Hmm. Ben, last time I checked on FanDuel, it's not up anymore. However, the last odds up for this quarterback race in New England had Cam Newton at minus 300, and it was plus money, of course, for Mac Jones. Whereas Cam opened at minus 180, the line moved significantly in his favor to that minus 300 range. The sportsbook thinks they know who's going to be starting quarterback week one. Bill Belichick has to know, right? Yeah, and I think it's still going to be Cam Newton. It's all we expect is it for to be Cam Newton. But Mac Jones might have had the best preseason of all quarterbacks, maybe especially rookie quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Mac in the preseason finale against the New York Giants at MetLife on Sunday. 10 of 14, 156 yards and a touchdown in his first two preseason games. Incredibly efficient. 13 of 19 in both of those games, a 68.4 completion percentage in the first two weeks and 224 yards in total. So Mac Jones was very, very good this preseason. A wonderful audition for the Patriots moving forward. I expected to be Cam Newton for that week one opener against an AFC East foe in the Miami Dolphins. But Mac Jones is certainly nabbing at the heels of Cam if anything goes wrong or if Cam, who has had an injury history throughout his NFL career, does go down or is shaken up. I think Mac Jones is ready, willing, and able to take over for that quarterback position for the New England Patriots. What's been so interesting, Ariel, is that week one line for the Pats against the Miami Dolphins. Yes, it is in Foxborough. Yes, it is at Gillette. But the Patriots being a three-point favorite at home 
versus Miami with some of these quarterback questions at the very least from their head coach about what the Pats will present. The line opened at New England minus two and a half has worked in the Patriots' favor by the hook despite the fact that 55% of the betting handle right now is on Miami against the spread. So interesting to see that movement for New England, despite the betting public backing Miami and with some of these quarterback questions the New England Patriots currently have at the moment. That may be my favorite under of the of week one. I, the New England Patriots have one of the best defenses. They're going to have one of the strongest defenses in the NFL. A lot of their top defensive players were out last year because of COVID concerns. They're back this season. Also, looking to the Miami side, you've got an offense that under Tua Tungavailoa didn't generate many points. In fact, turnovers may even be a problem for him with such a tough front seven in New England. That's why I like under more than even taking a side in that game. Lastly, we still have to figure out where this New Orleans Saints game is going to be played. The Saints head coach Sean Payton said he doesn't even expect his team to return from Dallas after the hurricane for at least another week. Green Bay is on the road at New Orleans. The Packers are three-point favorites. September 12th, that Sunday, week one, is supposed to be the home opener. The Saints really nicely charter two flights with the staff, the players, and their families to go to Dallas. They're currently there waiting out the results of this hurricane. Hurricane Ida knocked out a ton of power in New Orleans, Ben. That's more of the concern is the power outages more than anything yeah very scary scenes down in the Gulf. best wishes to everybody down there stay safe as it pertains to the nfl right now some questions around where that week one game between new orleans and green bay will be played and i expect we might see some more line movement in the favor of the green bay packers of course we noted the flip from when aaron Rodgers decided that he would be back playing quarterback for the pack this year. Green Bay opened up as a two and a half point underdog. They are now a three point favorite on the road in New Orleans. The Saints still dealing with their own quarterback issues. Of course, Jameis Winston has been named the starter, but what is the confidence level there? I think we can expect to see more line movement, but first and foremost, best wishes to everybody in the Gulf. Best wishes to everyone down there in Louisiana, and we'll continue to monitor the situation with the Saints. We're going to welcome in our MSG audience in about 15 seconds. We'll be right back here on The Grid. Welcome to our MSG New York audience here on the morning after on Sports Grid. We're also on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Time to talk some New York, New Jersey-ish football. The New York Giants had their left tackle yesterday speaking out, Andrew Thomas, because the offensive line was horrendous last year for the Giants. In fact, Daniel Jones, their quarterback, was sacked the second most of any quarterback last season. The offensive line gave up the most for the Eagles, but then the second most was the New York Giants. 50 sacks allowed. That was tied with Washington and Houston. The left tackle, Andrew Thomas, says that he's determined to make these cons- uh, these corrections. Quote, there's definitely pressure, but he puts pressure on himself. I do what I have to do to play well. That's what Andrew Thomas said of the New York Giants, who's entering his second year in the NFL. Then with the Giants offensive line being one of its major concerns last year, how much do you s- expect the Giants to improve offensively this season? It's going to be very difficult for two of their biggest commodities in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley back from the torn ACL to have success if the Giants offensive line even closely resembles what they were in 2020. One of the worst last year in PFF projects New York to be the worst offensive line unit 
this season in the NFL. That was sadly on full display if you're a Giants fan or backer in that preseason finale. Don't forget, it was the first action we saw of the starting quarterback in Daniel Jones this preseason. And yes, the New England Patriots front is going to be very formidable this year. Look out for a guy named Josh Uche coming into his second year as well. But they were pressuring Daniel Jones constantly in that first half. In fact, DJ was sacked twice in the first half. A lot of that pressure coming from his blind side in the fourth overall pick from the 2020 NFL Draft and Andrew Thomas, who was sharing that quote there. There is a lot of pressure on the Giants' offensive front to be better this year, but all the indications, sadly, through preseason is it might be another miserable year up front for the New York Giants. So how does that affect New York as they head into the regular season? Well, you could look at Daniel Jones. You could look at his passing yards prop in the regular season. It's 3,799 in the hook right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook. Last year, the New York Giants passing offense was the fourth worst in all of the National Football League, averaging under 200 yards a game at just 189 passing yards per contest. That must be better, but for that to be better, Danny Dimes needs some time to be able to find his new acquisitions outside, like Kenny Galladay, like Kadarius Toney, the speedster out of Florida, who the Giants drafted in the first round this year. The offensive line needs to provide that time for Daniel Jones to be able to do that. And when you look at the Giants area, we have already seen some movement after the Broncos named their starter quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater working in their favor, moving from one to one and a half in favor of Denver on the road in MetLife that opening weekend of NFL football. Now it's moved even more. Denver a two and a half point favorite on the road in New York for that opener against the Giants. The Giants defense is the only thing that's going to help keep them in games at least early. They were a top 15 unit last year. Now going into the offensive side of the ball. How healthy is Kenny Galladay, their wide receiver, a number one wide receiver coming over from Detroit who missed majority of last season, now dealing with a hamstring injury? How healthy is their running back, Saquon Barkley? Is he even going to play the first game of the season? Even though he's practicing, there's a chance. Is he 100%? Is he playing as, as much as he normally would, at least for the first few weeks? A lot of question marks surrounding this offense in New York. As for the New York Jets, defensively, they're focusing, especially because their head coach, Robert Salah, used to be the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. Linebacker for the Jets, C.J. Mosley, said that there's some form of controlled chaos for the defense, which I absolutely love. I love knowing that there's some chaos on defense because realistically, defensively, you have to be a little bit crazy and angry. The Jets were the fifth worst passing defense last year, allowing 275 and a half yards per game. They allowed the seventh most points per game, just under 29 points per game allowed by this Jets defense. Ben, defense has to improve in New York. You've got your quarterback. You say you like Zach Wilson. I really like him with Corey Davis after that preseason game where the two of them connected a few times and Davis had a huge game for over 70, 80 yards. However, defensively, this young offense can't produce if the defense can't keep them in games. And that controlled chaos is the format that Robert Salah had during his time with the San Francisco 49ers as their defensive coordinator. In the past two years, last year in 2020, under Salah, San Francisco was the fourth best total defense in all of the NFL. In 2019, when San Francisco made it to the Super Bowl, the second best total defense in the NFL. That is hoping the improvement that New York Jets fans can see this year under Robert Salah, and then hopefully the offense also a little bit better. The Jets have been stung by the injury bug big time throughout this preseason training camp portion of the NFL schedule. To lose Carl Lawson, 
one of their biggest free agent acquisitions. Vinny Curry seemingly out for the year as well. They added another Lawson, Shaq Lawson yesterday. That deal becoming official. Shaq Lawson was a former first-round pick for the Buffalo Bills. In the last four years, he has had four or more sacks in each and every year. Is that household numbers type of stuff? No, but can that be a nice veteran presence for a team that needs some help and just some fresh and able bodies out there? Certainly so. So that's what they're hoping to create for the New York Jets, who week number one, because that's where our focus shifts now that the preseason is over. They get the Sam Darnold revenge game against the Carolina Panthers. The Jets, a four and a half point favorite, nearly 83% of the betting handle, Ariel coming in on the Panthers against the spread. Not a ton of confidence in the New York Jets, but if the controlled chaos can fluster Sam Darnold, we might see some highlights week number one. Carolina laying four and a half points as the home favorites in the game. 25th in pressure rate is what the Jets were last year. Darnold's probably sitting there saying, yeah, I probably should be fine in the pocket. The one addition that the Jets do get, Quinnen Williams does come back after missing all of last season due to injury. The defensive lineman will be a big help. As you mentioned, losing Carl Lawson, a huge loss for this Jets defense. Coming up next, Connor O'Gara from Saturdays Down South to talk SEC football. Stay on the grid. sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com back on the morning after on sports grid it's sirius xm channel 204 with ben stevens i'm arielle epstein joining us now from saturday's down south getting us ready for the college football season it is Connor O'Gara. Connor, we are here. Week one is upon us this weekend. We have college football games, and especially around the SEC. There are some SEC-ACC matchups going on this week that are super intriguing. I know the one everyone's talking about is Georgia and Clemson. How much do you believe the loser is losing sights of the college football playoff? I don't think it's a playoff elimination game. I think if I'm a Clemson fan and I watch my team lose in week one, I'm a little bit more worried about that, though, because the rest of Clemson's schedule is horrendous. It's really, really bad. And the fact that they don't have Miami and Notre Dame in the regular season is going to be something that people are going to be talking about if Clemson loses this game. I think Clemson's going to win this game, though. And I think Georgia will still have a path to the college football playoff if they lose this game, just because if you're a one-loss SEC champ, you're not getting left out of the college football playoff. And that's that's reality as we sit here in year eight of the system. So it's not necessarily a playoff elimination game. Now, for Georgia, is it massive? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. You create that path to be a potential two-loss team even if you can win this game and get something like this under your belt in non-conference play. But, yeah, I, I think it's just going to be great for the, the pure theatrics of it and two – Teams that have, you know, top three, top four talent in all of college football going at it on a neutral site. I mean, this is a a dream opening matchup. Just kind of wish it was on one of these schools' campuses. So, Connor, you believe that Clemson wins this opening game. The spread is three and a half in favor of the Tigers. How does Georgia keep it close enough to possibly cover that margin? I think Georgia can keep it close enough, but covering that, I have a tougher time saying that Georgia's going to be able to cover just because – I think Clemson has so many things going right now on defense with coming into this season after the way that they finished last year. I know I brought that up before, but I I just think this team is going to play like a team with something to prove. And and Brent Venables, when he comes into a season with this much experience, 
it's a death sentence for the rest of college football. And it's going to be shades of 2018 all over again. And I think that Georgia front is going to struggle to slow down Clemson's defensive line. I think JT Daniels is really, really good against the blitz, highest graded blitz against the blitz of all FBS quarterbacks last year. That's according to pro football focus, at least in terms of quarterback rating, I believe. But when you only send four at him, it's a little bit different. So I think Georgia is going to try and establish some balance. I don't think that they want to necessarily throw 40 to 50 times, but I think that proves to be a little bit too much of a struggle. I think Georgia's playing from behind throughout this one and it ends up being more of a seven-point game in favor of Clemson. Injuries have been the story surrounding Georgia the last couple of weeks. Who are you keeping a close eye on to see if, in fact, they could play? That might change your mind. This Eric Gilbert thing is bizarre. I, I tend to think that you can't expect to see him for the opener, so I'm going to try and put that out of sight, out of mind. But I want to see how healthy Kyrus Jackson looks. I was saying before the George Pickens injury that he was George's most valuable receiver coming back this season, and he's been banged up throughout camp. He and Jermaine Burton both kind of started off camp dealing with injuries, and I want to see how he looks because he's so important with what they're trying to do offensively to spread teams out, and what he's able to do in the slot to be able to create separation is so massive for JT Daniels to have that 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 safety valve to have that guy to turn to when it's third and six, third and seven, and he's seeing these exotic blitzes from Brent Venables. Can he find a guy like that, a veteran who can get open? That's going to be the key in this one. I want to see how he's moving in and out of his breaks. That's going to be so massive for Georgia in this one, and just to be able to keep pace with this high-power Clemson offense. Connor, the week one slate for the SEC is chock full of marquee matchups. Georgia, Clemson, and other top 15 tilt between Miami and Alabama. The reigning national champions, the Alabama Crimson Tide, an 18.5-point favorite currently over Miami, who is a trendy underdog pick for a lot of folks around college football. How do you break down this game between the Canes and the Tide? Well, Miami shouldn't be a trendy underdog pick for the season opener. Saban, all he does in these season openers is come out and just just drop the hammer on these teams. Hasn't even played in a game decided by less than three scores since 2014 against West Virginia. I mean, this this is such a, a an unfair fight to go against Alabama with eight months to prepare, despite the fact that I love De'Aaron King. And if you look back at the previous 14 quarterbacks that Nick Saban has faced in these season openers at Alabama, De'Aaron King's the best one. And that group includes Denard Robinson as well. That includes Terod Taylor when he was at Virginia Tech. And, you know, I, I think that what Derek King is going to be able to do coming off a torn ACL is still going to, to put some pressure on this Alabama defense. But we've seen Alabama let up points before. The difference now is that they can put up 45 without really breaking a sweat. And I think that's what they're going to do in this season opener against Miami, despite the fact that I think Manny Diaz is going to have a really good defense. Even though they lose Jalen Phillips, they lose Greg Russo, the, the guy who opted out last year and ends up being you know a, a high draft pick. I still think that Alabama is going to be able to sustain scoring drives. And eight months to prepare for Nick Saban, the GOAT. Man, I just wouldn't want to have to go up against that. The guy doesn't lose in Atlanta. I don't think he's losing this one. I'd have a hard time picking Miami even to cover in this one, despite the fact that I think Derek King puts up points and Miami actually does some good things on offense. I like the point you made there because I can't necessarily say that you can use those records because sometimes 
Alabama's playing some random small school that no one has heard of before week one. Otherwise, when you talk about someone like a Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, when you have all that time to prepare for one opponent, that's where I think the biggest difference is, is Nick Saban having all this time to prepare for Miami. Connor O'Gara from Saturdays Down South joining us talking SEC football. The team I'm really excited to see, if they can make a big switch, LSU. LSU goes from being one of the best teams, if not the best team college football's ever seen two years ago, to being below 500 last year. And now this year, they're starting off their season taking on UCLA. How much of a disadvantage is it for LSU that UCLA already played last week? Well, I, I think it's part of it. And I think the, the situation right now with Hurricane Ida going on in the state of Louisiana and the way that's impacting the Gulf Coast, you know, LSU already had to, to go to Houston on Saturday, took a 10-hour bus ride to get there, and they're going to spend their week there. And that's not necessarily what would worry me if, if I'm talking about LSU being in the right headspace. It's just all these kids that are, that are from that state that are thinking about what's going on back home and whatnot. I'm not saying that that should be used as necessarily like some excuse or anything like that. I would probably stay far away from this game not knowing what to expect because we didn't really know what to expect from LSU on a week-to-week basis last year. And coming into the season opener, Derek Stingley maybe a little bit banged up going into this one. I, I just had a, ha, would have a really hard time knowing what we're going to get from LSU because, man, they were really close to being 3-7 and seven last year. People don't talk about that. They finished off 5-5, five and five, but it took two miraculous plays. It took Marco Wilson throwing a shoe into the night fog in Gainesville for that to happen. It took yeah. horrible tackling from Ole Miss on that touchdown from Keyshawn Butte in their regular season finale to make that happen. So I would have no idea what to expect from, from LSU, and that frightens me more so than what UCLA did against a Hawaii team that isn't going to be on the same level as, as an LSU. But Dorian Thompson-Robinson looks really good. Chip Kelly returns more Power 5 production than any other Power Five team in all of college football, the great stat that Bill Connolly always puts together. So I'd have a I'd have a really hard time saying that I know what to expect from LSU. But man, this game can go any which way. And if LSU loses, it's going to be shades of 2017 Texas A&M when they lost that opener, blew that massive lead to Josh Rosen in UCLA. Connor, I'm glad we got the shoe throw on this broadcast today here on the morning after. What scares me most after seeing UCLA run all over Hawaii last week, is the fact LSU's defense was porous last year, the fourth-worst total defense in all of college football, allowing just under 500 yards per game. But Bo Pelini no longer there. We'll see how that affects LSU's defense. LSU's team win total, Connor, is at eight. What would you want to see out of Ed Ogeron and company on Saturday that would give you confidence to think LSU can win nine games this year? So I would take the over on that in the regular season, but I have LSU beating UCLA. Now, that pick came down before all this stuff has gone on with, with Hurricane Ida and the, you know, the, the moving pieces involved with all of that. And I, I still would, would take the over, and I would feel somewhat worried about that if they weren't able to take care of business because I have them losing three games in the SEC regular season. So that would be really tough to hit the over on that, in my opinion, just because the SEC West is going to be brutal. It's going to be absolutely brutal. I think it's going to remind us a lot of 2014 where maybe we see as many as six teams in this league hop into the top 15 at one point. And you just don't know who the best team is on a week-to-week basis. And some weeks maybe that's going to look like LSU. But I think if they come out of that one with a win 
it's going to be all about how LSU is getting back to its 2019 form. And if they put up 40 points and Max Johnson looks like a stud, there are going to be a lot of people saying, oh, man, why didn't I take the over? Why didn't I put a, a flyer down on LSU to, to win the SEC this year? Uh, despite the fact that it, it's going to be a long road, regardless of how that game turns out. And it's going to be a, a really difficult task to, to somehow bounce back in that big of a way to be able to get to nine wins this year. I'll keep it there. We're going to go to Ole Miss. Ole Miss win total seven and a half. I'm excited to watch this offense. It's supposed to be one of the best offenses in college football this year. How much are you buying Ole Miss? As I told Ben last year, Ole Miss, in 2020 at least, was tequila. They were a nonstop thrill ride. They'll leave you a little bit hungover, and you'll kind of wonder, oh, man, can I really rally? Can I do this again? Maybe, maybe I should just not drink anymore, not experience a night of tequila. And then Ole Miss just sucks you right back in. It's high scoring. It's fun. It's clipboards flying in the air. It's trick plays. It's awesome. And it's going to be more of that this year with Matt Corral coming back, despite the fact that they lose Elijah Moore. They still have a lot of talent returning in the passing in the passing game, and they still have a stud in Jerry Neely coming back in the backfield. But the big question, of course, is can the defense just flirt with mediocrity? Just flirt with it. Just pretend at certain moments, like they were against Indiana in the Outback Bowl, can you just pretend like you're a halfway decent group, get a few stops in a row? I think they're capable of doing that. I would like the over. I have them going 8-4 and four in the regular season. That line has kind of moved up in the opener as well. I think it started off originally at like seven points a few months ago, and it's crept up to, I want to say it's around 10 right now. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are sipping the Ole Miss Kool-Aid. They'll be sipping the Ole Miss Kool-Aid if they can get a win. Getting that showcase Monday night Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Roof is going to be open in Atlanta. We found that out yesterday. That's going to be a really fun game. They're going to have to chase around Malik Cunningham, the quarterback for Louisville. But I think Ole Miss is is able to sustain enough scoring drives to be able to win that one, and I would take the over on the regular season total. Ole Miss currently a a 10.5-point favorite against Louisville for that Monday night game on Labor Day. I don't try to remember too much about Indiana and Ole Miss at the Outback Bowl last year being a Big Ten guy. But Connor O'Gara saying Ole Miss is tequila is something that has stuck in my head for many, many days. Connor, one final question about that Ole Miss-Louisville game. The total is 75.5. Could they hang a number that would lead you to take an under for the game between the Cardinals and the Rebels? Life is too short to be sitting there on Monday night after Labor Day weekend when you've watched a full weekend of college football and you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, i got to wait another week. Oh, no, I get this Monday night game. What a nice little treat, nice little dessert at the end of the weekend. Life is too short to bet the under on that one. Take the over on that. Have some fun. Enjoy the fact that this Ole Miss offense is going to be really, really good. Appreciate the fact that uh, Ole Miss defensively with DJ Dirk and Chris Partridge, a couple of former Big Ten guys, as you know, Big Ten Ben, um, not exactly the world's best defensive coordinators. I would want to take the over on that one for the, the the sheer entertainment value of it. I think the over can definitely hit, especially if Ole Miss, all the buzz coming into the year with the defense and, that, and them picking up kind of you know where they left off in the Outback Bowl. If that isn't legit, the over has a very good chance of hitting. Louisville also one of the least experienced teams in the ACC this year. We'll see if that defense and those young players can hold up against a really high-flying offense in Ole Miss. Connor O'Gara, thank you so much for joining us. You can catch him at Saturdays Down South. We'll have you on every week, hopefully, this SEC season. Thanks for the breakdowns, and good luck to your coverage this week. Thank you very much.
sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Closing out hour one on the morning after on Sports Grid, it's Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time for our poll. Let's get to Fade the Public. Perfect timing to talk about this game after having Saturday down south. Connor O'Gara on the show talking SEC football. Who's going to win this matchup? Who's going to cover this spread? Not even win. Who's going to cover the spread Game one of college football. It is Georgia or Clemson. Georgia's getting the three and a half. Clemson laying the three and a half. Ben, the public has spoken, and it's very, very close. So far, just under 52% say they are going to say Clemson at minus three and a half is their bet in this game. Are you fading the public? I am fading the public. We are taking oh, good the job. dogs. The dogs are going to cover an Ariel. I might be spicy enough to think Georgia is winning this game outright. Plus 140 on the money line in North Carolina on Saturday night. The marquee of all the marquee matchups that we have for this wonderful week one slate of college football. I believe in Georgia. I know there is some issues injury-wise for some of the weapons that JT Daniels needs to have at his disposal to beat this very good Clemson defense with Brent Venables back and bringing everybody in returning for Clemson that has so much production from last season. But I think Georgia is going to have a spectacular year. I think this could be the year the Georgia Bulldogs make the college football playoff. I think they start things off with a very high note on Saturday night against Clemson. If they don't win at plus 140 on the money line, I think they at least cover that three and a half point number. I'm honestly shocked to see that the public kind of took a side. I know it's close. I'm going to be excited to see what FanDuel puts out when it comes to percentages. Ben, Clemson laying three and a half. I could see them being the public team, especially because people may think to themselves, oh, Georgia, the injuries, that's what's been taking over the headlines. It's going to be fun. We'll find out, and we'll give you an update on those tickets uh, coming up later on this week as the game gets closer. Coming up next is Hour 2 of our show. You're listening here on SiriusXM Channel 204. With Ben Stevens, I'm Ariel Epstein. It is hashtag Trusted Capper Tuesday. A lot more great cappers coming up later. Stay on the grid. <laughs> 